This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through 20th in Washington, D.C. Visit evangelicals.life for more information. What lessons for young pastors and ministry leaders can we find in the life of British pastor Charles Spurgeon? Well, today we ask pastor and conference speaker and prolific author Alistair Begg, who is the editor of the Spurgeon Study Bible with B&H Publishers and is the host of Truth For Life, the radio ministry that is heard around the world. And of course, one of our favorite pastors here, uh, Alistair Begg, is a Scottish preacher who pastors in the Cleveland, Ohio area. We asked a few questions about leadership, what inspired him about Charles Spurgeon, what advice he would give to young pastors and leaders, and what is a good model for leadership, a CEO model or a biblical model of shepherding? I think you'll enjoy this conversation with pastor and author Alistair Begg. Well, I'm so glad to have Alistair Begg here on the Way Home Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's nice to have the opportunity to talk with you. There's uh, quite a few things I want to talk about, but one of the catalysts for having you on the podcast was this uh, brand new uh, Charles Spurgeon Study Bible that I have a copy of, and uh, it's just really beautiful Bible and a really great project. Uh, I've been a fan of Charles Spurgeon for most of my life and have used his sermons in my preaching and can you share a little bit about how this came about, number one, and number two, the fondness that you have for Charles Spurgeon, how he's influenced your ministry? Yeah, sure. I um, I, I mean, I identify with what you've just said in that uh, as uh, a young man growing up, I was aware of Spurgeon from, uh, from boyhood, really, in Scotland. And uh, uh, when I became a man, as it were, and began to actually read his material, I then uh, he endeared himself to me even more for all kinds of reasons. I did the review or the revised edition of his Morning and Evening uh, for Crossway. Mm-hmm. And I think as a result of that, people mistakenly thought that I was something of an expert on Spurgeon, which is not the case. And I think that's what led them to come and approach me for this particular project with the Bible. And uh, I came to it somewhat uh, diffidently and a little reluctantly, in so far as there are so many different study Bibles, I wondered whether we needed another one. So I, I had to be convinced of the validity of the project, first of all. But once I launched into it, then I quickly was caught up in it. And like you, I'm absolutely delighted with the way in which this has come out. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's just so amazing about Spurgeon as you read about his life is, um, for a couple things, but one, the way he was able to sort of hold theology, I mean, preaching very robust theology in his sermons, but also have a, a sort of revivalist, soul-winning mentality and kind of combine both of those together in ways that uh, you don't often find. Uh, how do you think he was able to do that? Well, uh, you know, because he actually believed that, if you like, the the free offer of the gospel comes, if you like, on the wave of divine sovereignty. Mm-hmm. that he did not run foul of the hyper-Calvinism on the one hand, which he disdained, mm-hmm. or this sort of um, rather poor uh, theology on the other on the other end. Mm-hmm. But he was absolutely convinced that uh, it is God who saves and that it is God who saves sinners. 
And in the same way that when he was converted by what he said was a fairly inadequate sermon by a, an unnamed and an unknown man, it was simply the, the call of the gospel to him to look to the Lord and to be saved. And Spurgeon actually believed that uh, uh, when people look to the Lord, that God would save them because he had promised to. And so he had such a conviction that God loved saving sinners that he was not tied up in knots mm -hmm. over questions which have inhibited many who have come after him from presenting the gospel clearly and challengingly to his listeners. Mm. And he did so in the conviction that it is only God who saves. He was very prolific, too. That's the one thing that when you read um, about Spurgeon, about his life, I mean, preaching every week, then also writing an additional sermon every week, and then you know editing the publication that he had, The Sword and the Trowel, and fundraising for his ministries. And many people think he almost worked himself to death. But what have you learned just reading about his ministry and, and applying kind of to your own uh, ministry? Well, I think you're right in that, I mean, the man had a tremendous capacity. He, he must have had something of the genius about him. Mm. His, his own personal reading was what informed him. I mean, he read the primary sources of theological works. He was schooled in these things without having had any formalized education himself. And he was then able to distill the essence of that in his, in his lectures to his uh, theological students. Mm. And I think that he combines a number of things, a, a genuine humility of heart that uh, allowed him to realize that while he could plant and water, that only God can make things grow. Mm. He also had a tremendous uh, passionate longing to see men and women uh, close, as it were, with the offer of the gospel. It would be impossible mm. for anybody to either read him or certainly to have listened to him without concluding that this man was in dead earnest about these things mm. and that there was nothing superficial about him. There was nothing showy about him. There was nothing of a kind of grandiose self-exhibitionism about the man. Humility, uh, clarity, integrity, uh, all of these things were hallmarks of his ministry. And, and, you know, when you think about it, that really is number one when somebody stands up to do anything. I mean, the first question that anybody is asking is, is this individual for real? Mm. Uh, am, I, am I dealing with a real deal here? Mm. And over time, it became apparent to people that whether he was in the setting of the Crystal Palace with all those thousands of people or in the Metropolitan Tabernacle or with his students, uh, Spurgeon uh, was a man of integrity, and uh, his integrity extended not simply to uh, his humanity and personal life, but also to the, the concern he had for the gospel and for theology, which of course led him into conflict with many of his peers, and uh, that cost him something in friendship, and I think you're right uh, that it cost him something in terms of his health as well. I want to ask you from from your own experience uh, in ministry. You know, you've been pastoring for a while, and you host a pastors' conference there every year, and you you regularly speak to young pastors. What, what are some lessons that you're that you've learned in your own ministry that you're trying to pass on to younger generations of leaders? What are some kind of uh, ministry lessons that you think are just really important for young pastors to to really understand and know? 
Well, I think that when we're young, uh, we're impatient. And, uh, you know, I think I thought that I could accomplish more than I could, you know, in a year and didn't realize how much one can accomplish over a period of five years. Mm. I think when we're young and we see the progress that older men have made, we're naive to uh, all of the many steps and struggles that have been involved in that. And we might be tempted in our youthful exuberance to think that we can reach that place with one gigantic step, mm. uh, bypassing all of the slings and arrows, you know, that have uh, come along the way. Uh, I think as well that when I was young, I was tempted to uh, drive the people from behind rather than to lead them from the front. I think uh, I was uh, far more hortatory, uh, urging people with the imperatives, mm. not spending enough time on the indicatives of the gospel, mm. not reminding myself and reminding them of the wonder of our union with Christ and how things flow out of that. Uh, all these things and, uh, and, and more besides, Daniel, are, are, are there as I reflect on them. Yeah, I mean, this aspect of shepherding that you see throughout Scripture that, you know, there are some ministry practitioners who say, well, shepherding is an outdated concept. Maybe a CEO model is a better, a better style or a better concept. What do you think about when people say things like that? Well, I'm very, very fearful of uh, using anything other than the apostolic pattern and uh, the, the pastoral epistles uh, to frame our understanding of church life and uh, uh, the areas of ministry. Uh, there is no question that uh, the skillful leadership of men in the business world is attractive to us in many ways, but I think it's always uh, less than helpful when we are tempted to describe our role in terms other than that which is given to us in the scriptures, mm -hmm. that Jesus is the chief shepherd, that we are under shepherds, that uh, we are better in a team than most of us are on our own, that we need the exhortation and the encouragement of our fellow elders and so on. I think it's really important that that we derive all of that, patterns for ministry and our profile and so on, from what the scriptures lay down for us so that we can be able to turn to the Bible and say, well, the reason that I'm uh, speaking to you in this way is because Paul says to Titus, for example, insist on these things um, and, and make sure that... Uh, uh, the, the people understand them. And what are the things he's to insist on? Well, they're the, the things concerning the gospel, mm. all that God is to us in Christ. So, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of, uh, of business books becoming the, the, the sort of impetus for mm. pastoral ministry. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of talk today, and some of it's good, some of it's not helpful, just about pastors and their sort of platforms and, you know, um, how they should manage that. Uh, do you think sometimes we get away from just the simple caring of, of people and, and leading them along a pathway in terms of our, our ministry leadership? Uh, yes, I think it's a real danger. It's a danger that comes when we start to uh, separate things that the Bible says should not be separated. For example, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Uh, you know, it, it's far easier to spend five hours 
uh, putting together a, a talk than it is to spend uh, five minutes in really praying for the members of our congregation. And uh, the, the, the absence of that in our lives is, is a real danger. Uh, the idea that somehow or another what our congregation needs from us is our giftedness, when in actual fact what they need more than that is our godliness. And uh, the, the divorcing of, the, if you like, the public uh, fulfillment of our responsibilities in the pulpit from the day-to-day shoulder-rubbing experience of pastoral ministry is a real snare. That's why it's important for us, no matter how far we advance in things in terms of people's public perception, that we, that we are in the hospital, that we are at the bedsides of those who are facing death. You know, I don't have to give an account for the fellow up the street or the chap that I just saw on the news. Mm. But I do think that we have, we have soiled the reputation of the gospel by embracing, in many cases, a double standard, which has allowed us to proclaim certain things and then to live not in the light of the very things that we've proclaimed. And I think uh, God in history has never tolerated that and he won't tolerate it now. And I think perhaps we're in a winnowing stage and uh, both in terms of the external pressures on the church and and only, only the soldiers are going to survive this one. Chocolate soldiers will melt in the heat that is upon us now. Mm. And therefore we want to encourage each other to stand fast. If you were giving advice, you know, one piece of advice to uh, a young seminarian or a young person in ministry just starting out, what is one piece of advice you would you would give them? Well, you know, I would say to them, I would tell them that I am constantly going back, I think, to an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. The Old Testament would be in Isaiah, where in, I think it's in 66, where uh, God through the prophet says, this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Mm. Now, I, I would want to say, let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. It is not what people say about us It is not what we say about ourselves that matters. It is what God says about us. Mm. And that notion, which brings with it, if you like, the fear of the Lord, is is a vital prerequisite in effective ministry. Mm. Alongside that, Paul's word then to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there's going to be all kind of stuff going on. But as for you, and this is 2 Timothy 4 or 5, keep your head in all situations. Keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Mm. So, so uh, when, I, when I try and summarize it, I, I, I say it's important that I would be myself and forget myself, and it is important at the same time that I wouldn't shirk the responsibilities that have been given me, nor would I try and play fast and loose with the privileges that have been granted me uh, as, as a servant of the Word of God? Mm-hmm. We've got to be able to do the Word of God, not just speak the truth.
that we must unapologetically testify that God values all life from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. What does it really mean to be pro-life? You know, all around us, it seems like the world is on fire. There are refugees and orphans who are in desperate need of care. There's a foster care system that seems like it's overloaded. There's natural disasters and wars. And there's evils like abortion and racism and white supremacy. What does it look like for the people of God to move into those spaces and to speak up for life? If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. We'd like you to join us in Washington, D.C. this January 18th through 20th for our annual Evangelicals for Life event that we co-host with Focus on the Family. This two-day event will feature very compelling speakers like Russell Moore, Jenny Yang from World Relief, Johnny Erickson Tata, Rich Stearns, Jim Daly, and of course the music of Shane and Shane. I think you'll enjoy coming not just to be equipped, to be a champion for life in your community using your gifts in whatever area God calls you, but also to meet with other champions for life. And then there'll be a special opportunity to participate in the March for Life where thousands of people from around the country make their voice heard in Washington, D.C. and stand up for the sanctity of human life. So will you join us for Evangelicals for Life January 18th through the 20th and use the coupon code WAYHOME for a 20% discount. These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings. I want to ask you uh, just a <laughs> uh, humorous question. Are, are you a fan of the, the Cleveland sports teams, the, the Cavaliers <laughs> and, the, and the Indians and the, and the Browns? Well, I am a huge fan of Manchester United and uh, Glasgow Rangers in, mm. in the British uh, soccer world. And I am... I am an interested sports fan for for all matters because I like competition and I like sport very much. And when when the teams are up, I am up, and when the teams are down, I am down. Ah. So I rode up on the on the wave of possibility uh, most recently with the Indians. Mm -hmm. I rejoiced in the triumph of uh, the Cavs. Yeah, and I and I mourn over the predicament uh, uh, presently of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, so I'm not really going to apologize for the World Series, but no, th that was a fun World Series, I will say that. It was. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Alistair Begg. We're just thankful for your ministry and thankful for your time with us and really want to encourage people to uh, listen to you on Truth For Life and also get this Spurgeon Study Bible that you uh, helped edit with B&H uh, with sure. the S CSB. And uh, incidentally, before I go, encourage them also to go to the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible dot com yes, uh, website, absolutely. and there there they can uh, get to the videos that we shot in London at his gravesite, and and a number of other bits and pieces that I think will be of help to them. Absolutely, and we'll put links to that uh, in the show notes so people can get that. But thank you for joining us. I appreciate that so much. I enjoyed the time, Daniel. Grace to you. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. 
The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.